0: As Paul said this morning, we're going to spend our time in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, whatever, open up to that and we'll follow along. But should we pray first? Loving Father, you call us to live faithfully as your people. Teach us what that means and give us the courage to do it well. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This is week four in our discipleship series. We are drawing to an end so you can breathe a sigh of relief. We'll move on to something else next week. Not really because we never move on from being disciples and and living that out in every aspect of our lives. But we have been exploring from the Great Commission to finding people of peace to share the message with to a church that is focused solely on making Christ known. And for those who were here last week, we were in 1 Corinthians and we read that interesting part where, and throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul invites Um, the disciples the followers of Jesus to imitate him as he seeks to imitate Christ so there's this sense where he's setting an example but there's a really interesting line where he says that's why I'm sending you Timothy so Paul is seeking to be a reflection of Jesus he wants the church to do likewise and to do that he's going to put Timothy in the middle now I don't know whether Paul likes Timothy or not he seems to send him to the hardest places when there's churches that are like really divided and things aren't going well He's like right that's it we've got to fix this I'm going to send Timothy (laughs) I might get there later Um, but he sends Timothy then to to help set an example so as we round out this series it'd be interesting to reflect on what Paul actually taught Timothy what did he send him to do and what guidance did he he give him because Timothy after all was a young pastor um, a young minister of the word he was somewhat inexperienced and so Paul wrote letters to encourage him and thank God we have copies of those letters still And 1 Corinthians is beautiful because it sets the scene for us so much with uh, who Timothy is and what he's been called to do. At the beginning, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul reminds Timothy that he is a servant of the gospel, not because he sought it, not because somebody else told him to do it, but because he was called by God and he was given the necessary gifts by the laying on of hands. So Timothy could have the confidence to serve God faithfully, even if the circumstances were difficult. Now, if you're used to reading Paul at that point, you would begin, you would expect him to say, So then get out and preach the gospel, or get out and make Jesus known, or, you know, some bold proclamation. But what we heard this morning, he actually goes a very different way. Once Timothy is established in his calling by God to be a servant of the word, Paul then says, First of all, then, of most importance, because there is no second, right? So you'll read through Second Timothy. He says, first of all, he never says second, because what he means is this is your primary responsibility. This is where it starts. He says, first of all, I want you to pray for all people, for kings and those in authority. And he says petitions and prayers and thanksgiving, You know, not just um, a, a small section of prayer, but your whole prayers. You know, in every way in which we are called to pray for ourselves and the world, Paul says, bend that towards praying for all people, for kings and for those in authority. That means we're called to pray for the people we don't like and the people we do. We're called to pray for left and right and up and down. We're called to pray for the people who drive us insane and the people that we like to hang around. There's no discrimination, right? All people is pretty, it's pretty clear. I pray for all people, especially for kings and those in authority. You know, why why start there? It's an interesting tact that Paul's taking. But you, you let, it, uh, let yourself marinate in that for a while. That's where we're called to begin. You say, well, why start there? And I often wonder about prayer. You know, you read in the Old Testament and the New especially, when people pray to God and things happen, I always have floating around the back of my mind, would God have done it anyway? Did that prayer convince God to do something that was right? You Or did God not notice until somebody brought it to his attention? Why do we pray? Can we change God's mind? And is that the point, that we're going to do it so that we can convince God either that we're on the right track so he should support us or that this is the right track and so God should do it anyway? And, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes in the Bible, God allows it to play out and he he goes along for the ride with people, you know? And they argue back and forth with him and... And he goes, okay. well, let's see what goes on here. You know, like Abraham and Isaac, you know, go sacrifice your son. Did God really want Abraham to sacrifice his son? I wonder, we get caught up saying, will prayer change God or change the world around us? Maybe the important question is, as we pray, does it actually change us? You know, as we come to God in prayer, and especially when we pray as the Bible teaches us, is that more that we spend time with God, praying for the things and talking to Him about the things that we know are on His heart and are His purpose and His plan, and what we heard in the reading is good and pleasing to God. And in doing so, allow God through His Spirit to actually change us. And I think that's far more profound. Take, for example, what Paul says to the people to pray today. Pray for for all people, pray for kings and those in authority. That's no small ask, especially for the church at that time. You know, for for a Christian at that time, the authorities were somebody to fear. The emperor was someone to be absolutely scared of. Right, you would do your best to avoid him. Maybe if they were going to pray, they would feel like praying against the emperor. (laughs) Smite him, O mighty smiter, you know, like God, do away with him, get rid of him, save us from him, you know, like all the prayers against what the authorities were doing. Against what people who hated and maligned them were doing, you know, praying praying for all people. There's two things, one internally then for the church, you know, as they learn to pray this way, they're reminded that God reigns that God is always sovereign, that the emperor can run around doing what he likes, he can even pronounce himself God if he wants to, and yet he still has to answer to the Lord. Proverbs 21 is a great verse. In the hands of the Lord, the heart of the king is like a river. He can bend it any way he wants. You know, so the idea of being afraid of the emperor and afraid of the king and afraid of the authorities, especially for a church that was being um, persecuted to the nth degree, When they pray for the emperor, the church is reminded that God is and always will be in control and that nothing that happens to them, around them or with them is going to be a surprise to God. And so for the churches that learn to pray for all people, they're reminded that one, God is in control, two, that God's heart is for all people. You know, why why are we christians why why us is it because we're somehow more special more blessed more important to god no as we pray for all people we realize that god's heart is for all people even those that we cannot stand and so as we pray we learn we learn the heart of god because we pray according to his word so that's the that's the private life that this the beginning mission and ministry in this way, this is what it does. It reminds us that God is in control, reminds us of god 's heart, and by his spirit that, built, that takes root in us and builds us up in that truth. And then there's a public dimension to it as well. Now, the Roman Empire began with democracy, with the people 's voice, and Caesar was the one who then usurped that and brought all power to himself, and then in his lifetime. Managed something amazing he got the people to declare that he was God and people would pray to him right so people would pray to Caesar for blessing for life for whatever they needed and that continued on and you know Nero took it even further and if you were in the Roman Empire when Nero was Caesar not only would you pray to him you had to if you wanted to trade in the market if you had goods to sell if you were a farmer and you wanted to get rid of your produce the first thing you had to do was bow down to a statue of Nero declare him to be God and then one of the public servants would give you a slip of paper that would say that you'd done it and then you'd take that mark into the marketplace and show that and then you'd be allowed to trade. So the whole economy of the Roman Empire, the whole social structure was built on the foundation of declaring that Nero was God and praying to him. And what are the Christians called to do? Pray for him. These Christians weren't going to pray to Nero because Nero's not God. There is only one God, but they would pray to God for Nero. So in the act of their prayers... They're making a declaration about who reigns and about how God reigns. And they would pray for Nero. And it's really interesting how Paul unpacks it. He says, pray for two things so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. That would be a hard word to hear as a Christian in that time that we'll pray for Nero, the man who is at times tying us to poles and setting us alight to put some light in his garden at night. We'll pray for him so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. How does this marry up? See, the Christians, even though they were being persecuted and ill-treated and all the rest of it, there was nothing that could be brought against them as a charge of breaking the law. In fact, the one thing that they would be known for if they lived according to what... Paul writes here, is that they prayed for Nero. They didn't pray against him. They didn't try and rise up and overthrow the empire. They weren't using force or coercion. They weren't trying to exercise any power that they had. They, in fact, lived peaceful and quiet lives praying for Nero, and so there was no charge that could be brought against them. That in no way they had broken the law. In no way had they done wrong against the empire. And so there was no good reason for them to be mistreated. I mean, fine, if they were trying to cause a rebellion like happened in Israel when, uh, you know, in 70 AD, some of the, the Israelite leaders, they got a rebellion together and they tried to overthrow the Roman Empire and kick them out and the Romans responded and entrounced them and tore down the temple and made a mockery of everything that they were fighting for. You could say they deserved it because of what they did, right? Because they had done wrong. And so they got what they deserved. What was the church called to do? pray for the emperor and to live in peace and quiet so that no charge could be brought against them. And so then when the time came that they were persecuted, that they were thrown in jail, it would be known that it was for only one reason, that they would not bow down to Nero as God, that they would not give up on the Lord who had saved them, that they would not denounce Jesus for the sake of having an easy life, they said everything else we will live by, but we cannot forsake our God. And so, in that, there's a great public declaration to the world around them that the only thing they were interested in is the name of Jesus. You know, it takes my mind to the story of Joseph. And I'm not thinking now, multicolored coat the other joseph the one that we don't know much about right you think how much do we actually know about joseph the husband of mary the man who raised jesus like from the bible how much do we know an angel came to joseph and said you know you're about to divorce mary because you think she's having a baby with someone else the child she's carrying is actually the lord he's going to save his people so marry her and take her to be your wife and care for the family and joseph gets up and he does that and they go to bethlehem because that's where his hometown was, what else do we know? One thing. Jesus. Right? That's it. All of Joseph's story, there's it's five verses at the start, and then all we know from that point on is that however he did it, whatever form it took, he was faithful to the call that God had given him, and he raised Jesus as his own child until the proper time even when you know, Jesus was 12 years old and his parents went looking for him at the temple. Jesus talks to Mary, not to Joseph. He's not even part of the story. Later on, they, when Jesus is starting to preach and people are catching on the message, they go, isn't this the carpenter's son? They knew of Joseph, but all they really knew was Jesus. If that were our story, for each one of us that the only thing that people could point to from our story is the presence of Jesus, that's one heck of a story, isn't it? Like if that's all we were known for, what did he do for a job? I have no idea, but he kept telling me about Jesus. Where did they live? I don't know, but she just never shut up about Jesus. This is what Paul is inviting to, a peaceful and quiet life, not caught up in all the worries and dramas of the world. Not caught up in the rat race, not caught up in chasing the same things. Pray for peaceful and quiet lives so that you can live in holiness and godliness, reflecting God in your own lives. This is good and pleases God, so that whatever people want to say about you, whatever charge they want to bring against you, whatever things they want to say in the background, they cannot argue with this one thing, That person knows Jesus. And you look at what happened in the early church. No, from a worldly perspective, no power, no authority, no prestige, nothing. But they proclaimed the gospel, right? They introduced the world to Jesus slowly but surely and it transformed the Roman Empire. And before the Romans knew what had happened, the gospel had turned the world on its head. Right, it changed the whole social structure. The Christians—did you? Here's a cool thing: Christians were the first atheists. The first people who um, were accused of denying the existence of the gods was the Christians, because they had nothing to do with the Roman gods. So they were atheists. So if anyone ever asks you, you know, what do you believe? You say, "I'm an atheist. I belong to a tradition that's 2,000 years old." That'll lead to an excellent conversation. (laughs) Right? So, so they—they went from being even. in terms of a religious perspective being on the outer to then all of a sudden the message of the gospel was right across the Roman Empire and transforming the world. Why? Because that's the power of God at work. It wasn't their cleverness. It wasn't their astuteness. It was their faithfulness and allowing God to do the work that he was going to do. Because here's the thing. Paul makes it really clear to Timothy. There is one God. There's no other little gods running around. Don't worry about all those other things that you like to chase to give you meaning, to give you purpose, to give you a sense of self. They're all fake. There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and humanity, the man Jesus. right, so our whole lives as Christians, as those called into God's family, needs to be centred around the message of Jesus because there is nothing else that can do the work that God has done for us through Jesus by him becoming a ransom, right? There is only one way to know the fullness of humanity, and that is Jesus. There is only one way to actually have our heart's desires met, and that's through Jesus, and it's in ways that we don't expect. There's only one way to have true hope and true confidence in the future, and that is Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many, is the one who simply gives himself. Nothing else can do it. So Paul says, pray that your hearts may be rooted and grounded in God's sovereign reign so that you can live in peace and quiet, not caught up in all the burdens and all the rat race. That you can live holy and godly lives, that the way we live points to who God truly is and what he's done in us through Jesus. Because the only way we can lead a holy life, you know, make us holy as you are holy, Jesus, right? I'm not going to conjure that up myself. There is one God, there is one mediator between God and humanity, and that's Jesus. But here's the thing. There's a lot of ways to get to the message of Jesus. So, Ross, do you want to come up? I think I've been in the parish about three days when I started to hear the legend of Ross Schubert. And this morning, 10.30, you've got to watch what you say this time, Ross, because this is being filmed. So, Ross, for, for the sake of the people who know you and those who don't, can you tell us what you do and how it all started?
1: Well, well it started with um, Peter Schultz was in St. Paul's church and he came to me and he said, Ross, he said, we've got a lot of people and uh, new rivals here in Handel. Perhaps we should be saying a welcome to them. And uh, we talked a bit about it we said, well, yes, mate, we're a good idea. So uh, that's how it started. And uh, we split the town up into two halves and he did one half and I did the other half and, and uh, away we went. We took some material, we, we had some material made, uh, a little bit about St. Paul's, and a little bit about St. Michael's, uh, and we uh, uh, and, and maybe not those days but nowadays we also use a, a voucher from the from cafes 316 uh, and, um, and so uh, we we uh, go, go to uh, people and we uh, and then, uh, tell them that we just People from down the street, not someone from overseas or something rather like that, uh, and, uh, and then we uh, uh, um, 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 we welcome them on behalf of the of the two churches. We uh, one of the questions that we uh, that we asked fairly early is is whether they have some other church connections. We don't want them to be sheep stealers. We if they have a a church that they regularly go to—that's fine. But uh, we do, do like, try to uh, uh, and tell them a little bit about our church. But, but uh, usually the first visit's fairly short, and that's when we gather all the material that we're going to to use eventually, because uh, it's it's no good spending trying to spend a lot of time. It's usually up. Uh, at At the door whether it 's hot or too hot or too cold but uh, uh the uh, so uh, next visit we try to take some material that that fits their their position some 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 uh, uh in my case, we take another little brochure about about saint michael's and and uh, uh then then i'm uh I, I tracts as well uh and so that they got something to read when when I've gone, and that, and this is uh, the way the way uh, we uh, get to, we, got, we I need you need to get to know the person a little bit, and so, something that, that I found uh, is uh, easier to do is is to go to someone you don't know as as against going to your neighbour, hmm. j- just. Uh, go uh, uh, straight, straight to someone you don't know and get to know them, uh, and that helps, I think, to
0: get you started. So when it comes time to actually visiting, so you're about to hop in your car, you're going to head off on Saturday mornings, I think you do it now? Oh, yeah. What do you do? Uh,
1: yeah, the, fir- the first thing that when I hop in the car, turn the radio off. <laughs> and and then you start to pray. Because you you need... Even though you know Jesus is with you all the time you you need that need to set that satisfaction that that, that Jesus is there with you and and, and it 's surprising sometimes what you say you wonder when you went, went away you say oh, i didn 't really intend to say that, but i did <laughs> and so uh, you 're taking the Lord with you when you go mm.
0: now um I've been doing it for 30 years, yeah. and the idea is, you see the, the for sale signs go up, once the sold sticker's on, you're, kinda, you're getting ready to see some new people, and when the sign disappears, that's your cue.
1: Yeah, yeah we wait two weeks,
0: <laughs> wait two
1: weeks, otherwise, otherwise they've got all, all the boxes in the passage, haven't
0: they? <laughs> Over 30 years of doing this, Ross, I'm sure you've got plenty of stories, but there's one this weekend that you've loved to tell, so you want to tell us a story of? Something that's happened because of door knocking like this. Yeah,
1: it was quite quite early in the piece. I went up the road and I knocked on the door there, and this woman came out and she said, "Oh, she said you're from the church." She said, "I'm one of those that that my parents wouldn't let me go to religious instruction at at school, and so we had to start right from the bottom, right up from the bottom, Uh, and." Uh, eventually I found I noticed that her husband he had been going to church but he, he thought well maybe better not go seeing soon as she doesn't believe and so uh, when, as we were talking sometimes I'd be fumbling for an answer and he would pipe in with the answer <laughs> so that's quite a help uh, yeah so so uh, eventually uh, Pastor Meebus, who was pastor at the time, he took her over uh, and uh, she was uh, baptised and she took this, uh, her baptism very seriously and and, and the next thing, she, she, she was t- t- enrolled at the seminary and done, done a couple of courses there. And now she probably could have been a, uh, the f- first Lutheran movement pastor but, but that, that didn't happen. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, she looked around And she's, she's now uh, she, uh, uh, she, The first, first job she had That, that I, I uh, found out Was that she's a lay preacher in the Uniting Church So praise the Lord
0: Now I'm not trying to be rude But Ross, you're not really anything special no, no. <laughs> I, you... I, I left school when I was 14. <laughs> not, a, not a super apostle, not an extra strength Christian, nothing like that. Just someone trying to be faithful with what God's given you. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. we thank God for the work that Ross and Amarin do together? Quite incredible, isn't it? Knock on someone's door, um, begin sharing the gospel with them, taking a part in their story, their journey of faith. And now, how many people have heard the gospel through that woman that Ross met that day? You know, that the work of God continues to roll out. And if Ross hadn't gone to the door, would God have found another way? I, we don't know. But what we do know is that God blessed the ministry that Ross was doing and she met Jesus. In the, in the face of Ross Schubert, why do we pray? Why are we the church? Why are we gathered here? Why are we sitting in front of a computer, spending our Sunday mornings hearing the Word of God and praying and dwelling with Him? Because it's good to dwell with God, but most of all, because He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We know the truth, right? It's Jesus. It's not a philosophy. It's not an idea. The truth is a man. His name is Jesus. He gave himself as a ransom for all. That's why we're here. It's why the church on earth exists. If God just wanted us in heaven worshipping him, he'd have taken us straight away. But he's left us here for the sake of all people. He's left us here in Harndorf and the hills because of the people in Harndorf and the hills. He has you wherever you are because he needed somebody there to preach the gospel to be his presence to imitate him i know i don't get it either why would he choose us i mean surely there should be an application process and an interview before you get given a job like that and yet the lord says no i'm just going to go you come with me you come with me you come with me i've got something for you to do now go You are in the place you are in because the Lord needs you there and no other reason. It's not for the money, it's not for the paycheck, it's not for the company, it's not for whatever else we think our time is for. You are where you are for the sake of God and his kingdom. So pray. Pray for all people. Pray that the Lord will change your hearts and your attitudes towards those who don't know him, even the ones who drive you batty Pray for the world and all who are in it. Because this is good and pleases God. But no, he calls us to do that because he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he has put you here for that purpose. So find it. Speak it. Do it. Live it. Even if you think you are but a dim reflection of the Saviour, that is more than enough for God to do his work. Because it ain't about you. It's about him. Where has God placed you? And what can he do through you? That's an exciting proposition. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that before we'd even had a chance to walk away from you, you had a plan to draw us back thank you before we even chose our own ideas over yours you had put in place a path that would bring Jesus the Savior of the world the one who would give his life as a ransom for many we thank you that we have experienced your grace that we know salvation through him we pray for all people Lord we know we are no better no worse in your sight no different to anyone else but people lost in need of a savior transform our hearts and our minds to see the world and to see others as you do draw our attention away from the things that get in the way of us living for you and your kingdom draw us ever closer to the knowledge of truth that is your son Lord, we pray, teach us in our work, in our home, in our social lives, in our fun, in our adventures, in everything. Teach us to see the opportunities that you are preparing that each one of us may have the courage to speak truth and see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.